Hello and welcome to episode 111 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray and there's been a bit happened since we last sat down to discuss things in the golf world. Hideki Matsuyama becoming Japan's first men's major champion. Then the story that has rocked the professional golf world since breaking yesterday, the PGA Tour's player impact program revealed. So what does on-course performance have to do with winning money in golf? Complex business, professional golf, we'll talk about all that as we go break down those two stories no doubt a bunch of rabbit holes along the way joining me to do just that author blogger analyst critic founder of the quadrilateral newsletter to jeff sackleford coming from the u.s we're doing zoom today jeff we don't usually do that your background is la country club that's a nice little condo you got yourself there welcome looking forward to chatting today and taking in the view behind you yeah just 26 million i picked it up uh, at a good price yeah good to see you uh, all yeah we don't normally see each other so no. nice to see everybody and not, not that the listeners will uh and probably <laughs> to their benefit uh have to see us which is yeah good thing that's exactly right uh we should have gone into the newsletter business clates from here in australia architect touring professional columnist analyst critic lord knows how many other titles you could attach to him it's mike clayton clates good to be chatting with you my friend Thank you, Rod. Look forward to it. And you've just got a dreary Australian bush background going, and I've got a dreary studio, so Shaq wins the background wars for today. Wow, yeah. It's um, grey skies this morning. Anyway, that's okay. It's Melbourne. Yeah, indeed. Special guest today to help give us a feel of the reaction of Hideki's win on the ground in Japan, eight-time major winning caddy, course architecture nerd, former guest on State of the Game. It's the Tom Watson, not the other Tom Watson. Tom, um, we can see. I'm not sure that's a great thing. Early morning there in Japan. Thank you for getting up to chat to us, mate. Looking forward to catch up today. Yeah. Uh, tell us about yeah, – Thanks, guys. Yeah, before we go anywhere else, tell us about Hideki and Japan. He landed back in the country, I think, last week some point. He's doing his quarantine and that sort of stuff. I assume the news is still bubbling away there. Give us a sense. We know what it was like here in Australia when Adam Scott won the Masters. It was huge for us. I think all Australian sports fans bought into that. Is it the same thing in Japan with Hideki? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, even more. I think it's, uh, you know, Japan's such a, you know, nation on pride. And, uh, you know, the night before that, I went out with um, so three of my good friends from, from Japan, Japanese, of course. And I uh, went out, we went out for dinner and, and uh, <laughs> we're just so nervous. And uh, one of them was like, he was virtually in tears already. He, he just talked about, I just really hope they can win. And, and it's, and he said something which was on the lines of, you know, I hope they can win so I can go overseas and play golf courses with my head held high so I don't feel embarrassed. That was what he'd sort of said and what he sort of felt like. And um, and then obviously with him winning, it was, uh, you know, it was basically number one news. It took over all the coronavirus news. It was basically the number one thing for a few days. Indeed. What a time for your sound to go dodgy on us, Tom. I'm going to get you to not move because that spot looks pretty good and we might actually turn your your camera off if you've got that function on your phone. That might help us. uh, There we go. Good to know we're not the only people in the world with internet issues, Clates. There we yep. go. Tommy Watson's disappeared, but we can now hear him clearly. Hopefully, so uh, so that will be that will be good. Uh, Jeff Shackelford, internationally, the reaction's not the same, obviously, as what it is in Japan for Hideki. But what's the importance of Hideki winning, being Japan's first men's major winning winner globally? Do you think does it have much impact there on the ground in the US? But then more broadly, I suspect. Think all. Global wins are, are all international players winning is always a great thing uh, for the sport. Obviously, the Masters is it's extra special because um, they have made an, uh, such an effort over the years to cater to the rest of the world and want people like uh, Hideki Matsuyama to be there. I mean, way way before the current uh, group of uh, amateur events and different outreach they've had, they've had that desire uh for a very long time obviously something that bobby jones believed in and they've even given some spots some invitations that kind of go against their their uh general uh what would you say standards just to get get certain players in and and uh spread the gospel of the masters around the world so i think that's what makes it so so beautiful because i know they've they've always wanted japan to to have a winner and and embrace it and and it was um uh, it, it was incredible to watch and knowing, uh, well, not, not knowing, but having some idea of, of what kind of pressure was involved. Mm. So I'm, I'm fascinated to hear what Tom has to say about some of the things that go on over there um, in terms of just, uh, I know, I know golf's not as, uh, it's not quite what it was uh, 20, 30 years ago to the Japanese. The Koreans mm. seem like they're more uh, where the Japanese were 20, 30 years ago. I don't know that, but that's just, just being a dumb yeah, American. That, that's, that's correct. 
that's the view I have. So hopefully it, it was fascinating though, Tom, to read some of the reactions that were saying essentially the things that we hear here, that the younger generation is really not that interested in golf. Uh, and so maybe it'll have the same effect there that, that, um, oh, I don't know. Some of the younger players here supposedly are having on growing the game here. Yeah, for sure. Give us a sense, Tom, of the golf culture in Japan. Most of our listeners probably haven't been there. I know I haven't been there. You read all sorts of stories about it's a very different golf culture, it seems, from the outside. Uh, is Jeff on the money there? Yeah, Jeff's totally on the money. It's uh, exactly right. 20, 30 years ago, um, you know, massive jumbo Ozaki was huge. Uh, basically, a lot of golfers couldn't afford to play golf. Um, they had to only play a driving range, especially in the 90s when the uh, the bubble economy sort of hit, hit uh was you know over 2 300 dollars a game to play you know a pretty ordinary golf course you know and a good hours drive away and that was what it was these days there's still quite a lot of golf courses there's over 2000 golf courses uh, in Japan which is quite a lot for you know a country that's the same size as New Zealand and um but uh you know sort of there was no sort of hero that really popped up um there's still today there's a lot of people that can only play on driving ranges um, and golf courses are a little bit more affordable, but um, it's, it's still, yeah, it's, it's, it's still a difficult game to play over here. It's, it's, it's difficult to get on those golf courses. It's, you know, between 60 to a hundred dollars a game of golf on a very ordinary public golf course. And it's at least an hour from Tokyo. Okay. You live in Japan. Tom, how long have you lived up there for? How immersed in the culture? Uh, on and off for about 18 years. Okay. So you've, you've seen those changes over the time. It, it, yeah. Partly it's obviously to do with success of Japanese players internationally. That, that There was that gap between Jumbo, who obviously you mentioned about, although his international successes were somewhat limited, and Hideki. What part does the personality of big-name players – we're going to come to the player impact program shortly – what part does the personality of the players play that? Hideki seems to me globally liked. He's a very dignified sort of a character. I don't think anybody was unhappy to see him win. What role does that play at being Hideki rather than, say, perhaps the the anointed prince of Japanese golf a few years ago, Ryo Ishikawa? That's it. Well, that's where it is. And if, I mean, the thing, the difference between those two is that Matsuyama virtually just went straight to the US. After he obviously had a very high profile amateur career, winning the Asian amateur a couple of times. And he played a couple of events, a few events, you know, on the Japan tour, but he virtually sort of went straight to America. And, and yes, his personality is very sort of, you know, he shies away from media and he's just, he's just generally just a shy person in general. It's not the fact that he's, you know, he shies away from media. He's just a shy person in general. So he's not, he doesn't really, he hasn't sort of really connected, you know, fully to the Japanese like Ishikawa did. Ishikawa's, you know, quite, you know, he's, he, he talks to the media. He obviously plays the Japanese tour. So he sort of had that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but still, you know, the Japanese obviously still love Hideki and he's very respectful and he will still do all the interviews and stuff. But, um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see over the next few months whether he has that presence like a Jumbo Ozaki or, or an Ishikawa to really take Japan into that next level. Yeah. We saw a real change in Adam Scott, I feel, Clates, after he won the Masters. He became a real ambassador for the game here in Australia, but globally as well. There was a definite change in his personality. You've played in Japan, Clates. What's the experience like there compared to professional golf elsewhere? Is it different or is professional golf the same kind of product no matter where you play? Well, I think the players are treated so well up there to the point where the big ones are almost like gods. I mean, we see Jumbo or Nakajima or Aoki. Um, Those guys were treated like absolute kings up there, revered really. And I assume Ishikawa's the same now, Tommy, and Matsuyama if he ever plays there. But my view was I always thought that it's taken them this long to win a major because every when they went outside of Japan, they were never treated the same. No one cared about them. I mean, when I, when mm. Aoki or Jumbo went to play the Scottish Open and the British Open in, in Britain, I mean, couldn't people couldn't care less who they were. So the way they were treated was much different. And I always wondered whether that has something to do with the fact they'd never won a major until now. Whereas, you know, Australia, in comparison, had, I don't know, 20 major champions probably because 
in the, here, if you don't play well overseas, you're no good. You have to previously overseas before, before anyone thinks you're any good at all. Mm. Yet in Japan, you can stay in Japan and be a great Japanese tour player and you're treated like a king. So it's, so it's completely the opposite to here. Mm. True. We see somewhat similar in the men's game in Korea, don't we, Tom? Uh, why would you travel overseas when you, know, you can make plenty of money at home and get treated really well? The the women seem to travel to the LPG. I'm not sure whether there's a different reason for that because the women's game is big there as well. But every Australian player who goes to Korea says the same thing. The Korean players often don't travel because why would you? <laughs> why would you? There's no need yeah, to. You can no, do exactly. quite well at home. So um, makes yeah, perfect sense. Right. Jeff. Mike Clates just touched there, mentioned the magical name Nakajima. Great player. Extraordinary commentator. We saw some fantastic stuff from him on the Masters coverage in the last round, didn't we? Yeah, that was a neat uh, audible called by CBS. Uh, it was not the most thrilling final round, and uh, that was kind of livened things up for the American audience to hear something different. It totally... I mean, that just never would have happened in the past at the Masters. I mean, they, they did a lot of new things this year. They had a new producer. Fred Ridley clearly has given them the green light to bring in more of the technology, which is Billy Payne resisted everything. Um, and so to go to that broadcast, the only thing that was a shame was they played slow and they they ran long. I think they, they normally, in, in normal times, they would have played the final call as well. But that ended up, I think uh, somebody put it out on the internet. Uh, I can't remember who, but I know I put it in one of my, my either my blog or somewhere. So somebody did post it, a legitimate um, uh, television enterprise. It wasn't one, uh, it wasn't a bootleg. And uh, so it was really cool to hear that, um, hear how they call golf and, and, and almost like a radio broadcast, that was fabulous. Uh, which is, yeah. which is kind of fun, especially because the masters, everybody's so nervous about saying anything, but <laughs> they clearly yeah, didn't care. Yeah. We'll come back which to the, great. Yeah. We'll come back to the masters and some of the cool stuff there. Tom, back to Japan. We missed a little bit of it earlier. You were saying you went out to, for the night. What, what time of day is it in Japan when the masters is on? And, uh, and what was, was everybody up watching the TV? Like we saw here in 2013 for, for Adam Scott in Australia. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Sorry about that before with the, the, uh, the internet connection there, but uh, yeah, we're basically an hour behind Australia, so it's sort of uh, similar times. We sort of had to get up at three, four o'clock in the morning. Uh, probably yeah, five o'clock was finishing around about eight o'clock in the morning, and um, yeah, went out that night before. As, said, as I said, with those three people, and uh, one of them was was already in tears before he'd even won the tournament. He had tears swelling down his eyes. He's just praying and hoping that Matsuyama would win. Obviously, a mad king golfer, and he was another one of those guys that can't afford to play normal golf. He can only sort of play at the driving range. He plays probably three times a year when he saves up enough money to go and play. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he was he was very, very uh, – he was very emotional about it. Another one of those guys plays quite regularly overseas, and uh, he was saying that, you know, he was hoping Matsuyama would win so he could um, walk the fairways of an international golf course with his head held high and he wouldn't have to feel embarrassed. It's just a state. I don't think we – I have trouble a, comprehending that. I mean <laughs> – It's bizarre. It's there's just no different. way on earth any other human being would think like that. Yeah. No, it's it's in any part of the world. I mean, I know we didn't get – we weren't embarrassed playing other golf courses because no one had won the Masters, us Australians. So No, uh, no embarrassed uh, by your golf, but yeah. not by the fact that no Australian had won the Masters. Absolutely. Well, we're a bit more embarrassed <laughs> about uh, – Good not Tommy, we're a bit more embarrassed about Greg Norman's Instagram than we are. The shame's caught Sorry. up with us. Yes. Blowing a five-shot lead to Nick Felder. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliantly put. That's Mate. right. Uh, last oh, thing, Tommy, on, on Hideki. Amongst the players in Japan, what's the view of Hideki? Jason Day in Australia he has a bit of a reputation, particularly among players and hardcore fans, that he doesn't play enough down here. Is that a stain for Hideki in Japan as well? How do the other players respond to him? Oh, look, a, a little bit, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's just not known at all, I mean, here in Japan, uh, like in regards to the tour players. Uh, Ishikawa's very good friends with him, and I know um, Ishikawa had sent a, a message to Simon Clark, another Australian caddy, who Clark used to caddy for Ishikawa, and he was incredibly happy for Hideki. Um, yeah, look, it's... Uh, they're very happy that he's won, obviously, but yeah, they'd like to see him back here more to play. And I think if he um, does come play at the end of the year, I think that'll make a bit of a difference. But 
yeah, if Ishikawa had won, I think it would have been uh, it would have it would have been huge. Yeah, it was off the charts already. We did see, and I did want to ask you about this. We, I think everybody saw the tweet of the newspaper that ran a breakdown of all seventy-two holes that <laughs> yeah, Decky played. Was right. there a lot of that sort yeah. of thing? Was was there a lot of that, Tom, or was it just the, was it was only certain sections going crazy? No, it was. There was a lot of that going on, and <laughs> the two days after he won, it was a quite interesting thing. There's a golf company here called Golf Partner, which is sort of like your, um, it's sort of like the Ray Drummonds of Australia, and it probably like a, maybe a Dick Sporting Goods sort of in America, and the shops in the Tokyo region. They decided after Matsuyama won, they'd take have a ten percent discount for all Shrixen gear, and within twenty four hours, they'd sold out of every single Shrixen item. Wow! In every in those in the Tokyo region shops, so it was uh, smart smart marketing there by doing that ten percent discount. And well, I don't think they probably needed to do it really. They sold out absolutely everything, but uh, yeah. Brings us neatly, Shaq, to, uh, to to the beginning of the conversation of what we're going to discuss with this player impact program. Uh, shit just gets real for Hideki there, doesn't it? You probably know more of Hideki than Tom does. You've probably seen him more in America than Tom has in Japan. Uh, is he the man for the job? What are the pressures that now face Hideki? In some ways, the pressure's greater now, isn't it, Jeff, now that he's won than before he won? It's an extraordinary responsibility he's carrying now, is it? I don't know. I think it's a. It just depends on how he's able to manage the the press. You know, you, they 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 made a big fuss on the broadcast about that, obviously. And and uh, I mean, they do have some ridiculous uh, uh, needs to fill in terms of time spent talking about a round. I mean, I've watched Ishikawa at, at Riviera. They always get a huge uh, Japanese uh, press contingent there over the years, and 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 sitting in a little chair yeah. and 20 people around yeah. him for, you know, I'd, I'd go out to the course, watch somebody play 10 and watch this. And I come back and he's still sitting there and, you know, he's just, and they tell you he's answering the same question over and over again. And Matsuyama will not do that. Um, and he's made clear he won't do that. He likes to practice and he does. He practices uh, in, an incredible amount of time. So I don't know. You know, one of the things I, I can't speak to to Japanese culture and, and all that, I, but I, I do hope the Masters does, and this is not a, uh, any statement about his translator, but they do need to be pretty aggressive in how they uh, get his transcripts transcribed and, and make sure that uh, he's not uncomfortable doing interviews and that they just let him. I would like to see them do some interviews where he's not having to deal with the translator mm -hmm. situation, just, just an interview and then transcribe it for us later. Uh, for that's just yeah. from a writer's yeah. point of view, you know, just to let him talk more, but he's trained now, um, to talk, allow the translator to do their thing. And that was the funny thing in the green jacket ceremony <laughs> after two questions, Jim Nance went, okay, I'm just going right to the translator. <laughs> we got, we got to keep this yeah. thing moving. And it did. It was <laughs> like, yeah, this, that it's just, it's awkward for everybody. And um, so let's let him maybe have a chance to show a little more personality that way. And that's on the, on Augusta to just make sure somebody's doing that work. But I want to ask Rod, uh, before we go to the other stuff, uh, Tom, real quick, where are the, the golfers, in Japan now, yeah, we heard some ridiculous, well, I shouldn't say ridiculous, but they sounded ridiculous, you know, by like when it was clear he was going to win, he'll be, he'll be taking the torch and lighting it in the green jacket, you know, and, and, and with, you know, with his dry, his bag over his shoulder and, uh, yeah, is golf, are the golfers really is, is in the world of sports, where are they? And was that something that's reasonable uh, or, or. Uh, was that getting a little carried away? I'm, I'm just curious where golfers stand in their world of sports now. Yeah, it's uh, maybe a little bit too carried away there. But, yeah, I, I think golf's probably behind baseball right now. Uh, baseball still is probably number one here, unlike yeah, golf like Otani, you know, 30 I mean, years ago. Is Otani a big deal there when he pitches and plays games here in L.A., um, that kind of thing? 100%. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Baseball, baseball really had, in the last twenty years has been king here over golf. Yeah, um, yeah, that's base. That's it. But uh, it's and golf. Tennis. What about you know, uh, men's two of the um, Osaka? 
Well, no, well, yeah, Osaka too. Well, yeah. she's only Japanese when she wins, Clates. Remember that. Okay, right. she's, she's American. <laughs> right. she, exactly right. she, I make that joke at the local That's sushi right. place. They love that. They, I go, oh, she won today, so she's Japanese again. <laughs> um, but what about what about yeah. the male? Uh, I'm I can't get his Nishikori. name. Nishikori. Nish- Nishikori. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Nishikori. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, was he uh, on the on par with the with the big golfers when he was playing well? I know he's been injured a lot. Yeah, yeah, he, he's pretty. Yeah, uh, tennis isn't obviously quite as big as golf, but he's got it. He's very marketable, um, and he's so it is quite popular. He's uh, getting more people into tennis a lot more. Uh, so yeah, no, he is very popular. Got quite a few sponsors. Does a, quite a few advertisements in Japanese, obviously here, and uh, so he's on TV quite regularly. But uh, in regards to the level of par, I still think he's. It's probably. You know, because tennis isn't quite a boom as golf, he's still got a, he probably needs to win a, a major himself to really pick that yeah. level up. Now, Tommy, Tommy, tell me about the caddy bowing on the 18th green. That's kind mm. of a normal thing in <laughs> <Japan>, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not uncommon. That's for sure. It's okay. uh, with a normal thing. It's definitely not uncommon. Uh, house caddies do it obviously on uh, at the end of the ninth green and the end of the 18th green. Rookie players or first couple of year players on the ladies tour will do it quite regularly. Uh, I came back after the, during the pandemic there, I came back in September and did a week. I caddy just for a rookie friend. And ninth green at the end of the ninth hole and then bowed on the 18th green as well. So it's, it's definitely not an uncommon thing. Uh, the good players, the top players, that sort of stuff don't do it, but, uh, yeah, it's it's not unusual, and uh, you know, Japanese looked at that. They wouldn't be going, "Oh wow, he bowed." They just look at it and go, "Oh yeah, he's um, he's been respectful to the masters." Yeah, because the rest of the world went crazy about it. But when you told me it, well, that was quite normal. It was that put it in a different perspective, really. What? Yeah, yeah, it was great. I mean, it was great to see. I, I it was even for me just watching it. It's like uh, you know, it's like wow, that's great. You know, the Japanese have always been very respectful and. Uh, that's why it's a great place to live, and uh, it's yeah, it's it was good to see. Definitely good to see. I want to come back to you, Clates, for the players' perspective. Is Hideki the right man for the job to have won the Masters in that sense? What part does personality play? You've seen loads of players over the years that you would have known and hung out with, and then everything changes when they win a major. Uh, what does change for Hideki as a player? Uh, and from what you know of him, is he well equipped for that? I don't know. He looks like he's he's obviously been a really good player, so you can assume he'll be fine. I mean, it's been a long time since he's won. So um, I don't know. It would be good if he learned to speak English. Tommy, you taught Ishikawa to speak English, didn't you, largely? No, 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 no. If I did that, he'd be, he wouldn't be able to do any interviews anymore. <laughs> he'd be kicked off there pretty quickly. I think Clarkie actually helped him more with the English there. Oh, did he? So, so is anyone teaching a decade to speak English or how, how's that working? I, I don't think so. As far as, as far as I know with Hideki, he, he doesn't want to speak English. Mm-hmm. Now, I could be totally wrong. I, I haven't. I, that's just only what I've heard. Okay. Yeah, um, Rod, the interesting, I spoke with Craig Bishop, who, you know, Bish Tommy, who teaches with Gareth Jones, the Japanese national team, and he was kind yeah. of worried that Matsuyama apparently came out of a you know, survival of the fittest school of 500 kids who go in there and, very regimented teaching, he was worried that he thought that will now confirm with the Japanese that's the way to produce players uh-huh. when he thinks it's absolutely not the way to produce players. So, Yeah, I agree that? with Bish. Yeah. Yeah, I, do. I, I agree with him. The Japanese are very much into the what's on the robotic-like. I mean, it's sort of human nature in ways where you might see someone swing a certain way or do a certain thing to, to copy that person, but it's very much like that in Japan. They'll think, oh, that's the way you've got to do it, and that's the only way you have to do it. And um, it's that robot mentality that, uh, yeah, that could be a bit of an issue, and I'm hoping that's not the case. But um, if they can get the right people around them, the right coaches and people around them to say, listen, you know, just because Matsi Yama does this way doesn't mean that's correct, then that'll be more beneficial for the future of Japan golf for sure. I so agree. I think, I think the girl who won the – um, Augusta women's amateur came out of the same school. 
So that will doubly confirm yep. to the Japanese that that's the way to produce champions. When Bish's view is it's absolutely not the way to do it. You know, you don't kind of get them in there and have them all doing the same thing and, you know, when fine, you might produce one out of 500, but what happened to the, what happens to the others? Hmm. Well, uh, you've yeah, said, that's exactly right. You've said it before, though, Clates, haven't you? Everybody wants to copy the best. The best can ever copy anybody. It's the same yeah. kind of an idea, isn't it? As soon yeah. as someone has success, everybody thinks, well, that's the way to succeed because that's how they did it. But the person who's done it is usually thought somewhat outside the square. What about as a player, Clates? What does change? I mean, I, I know it's been a long time since you played the tour, but as I said, you must have known blokes who were – Week to week players, good players, whatever. But win a major, it all. What are the differences? What does what does sort of change? I imagine you get called into the press every week where you maybe didn't have previously more calls on your time, less less ability to practice as you want till you learn to say no. What are the issues he'll he'll have to deal with initially? Well, I guess the two guys I knew the best were Grady, one Grady and Ian Baker Finch, who you know had set goals at the start of their career. Both of them to win a major. And when they did it, it was almost that was the end of their careers. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Finchie was at the yips with the driver and couldn't play within eighteen months. And Grades, you know, Grades had worked so hard to get there that you know he was almost gone off the tour within two or three years as well. So I get the sense Matsuyama's not that sort of player. He's just going to go and keep on grinding for another ten years. But we all, I mean, Darren Clark, uh, you know, there was another guy who won a major and that was it. He was his career was pretty much done. So in a sense, there are two sorts of players, those that carry on playing great golf and, and, and those who just, that's the pinnacle of their career. And, and, and from then on, it's all, in a sense, downhill because they've, they've climbed the highest mountain. Yeah. But I, I suspect he's pretty ambitious and, will, I mean, who, who knows whether he wins another one. I mean, when you see a player win a major, you see them playing their best golf and you assume it's never going to end. But um more often than not, most guys who win majors only win one of them. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's far more of them than multiple major winners, isn't there? Uh, Shaq, back to the Masters. Out of 10 this year's event, the storyline was fabulous at the end, uh, but how how about the week overall? You're one that always watches this stuff on multiple different levels from the media aspect. You already touched on the nice touch from CBS getting the TV people in and how that wouldn't have happened before. How's the Masters tracking for you and where did 20, 2021 stack up in terms of a... Yeah, it was pretty flat, right? I think just because it it happened five months after. Get that microphone up to your mouth there. So Shit. some of that that uh, that that burst of excitement you get at, at uh, hearing the, the the theme music and seeing the course, it wasn't quite there this year. Um, but uh, you know the golf course played as well as it can with the way they prepare it, with the the goofy fairway cut, the um, and the. Um, you know, just the oddity of having brick hard greens and, but no, no real approach that's receptive to a shot, which is just kind of goofy golf and obviously totally not what Bobby Jones was into. Um, but you know, you try to explain that to people and they go, Oh my God, how could you be so negative? The course is so beautiful. <laughs> well, you, you're woke shack. You're being woke. I wrote a lot about, he had a philosophy and I'm just, and they tell you how important that writing is. And it's like, well, but they don't really follow it. Um, so, uh, in that sense, I thought it was good. Um, I'm just sort of, I'm still mystified a few weeks later. Look, it's a very hard golf course. There's a lot of pressure. Um, when the greens are that fast, everything that goes into it is tough, but I'm still a little shocked at how poorly, uh, the, the, the good players played on Sunday when they got themselves in position. And, um, and I'm also a little shocked at how, how poorly they played coming out of the rain delay and Matsuyama to his credit, you know, went to the car and, and probably nodded off for a second and watched some (laughs) videos on his phone and good for him for whatever he did in that time. And, and other guys uh, didn't come back from that when the course was vulnerable. So that was weird. I thought, um, so yeah, it was fine. I, I, it's not going to go down as one of the greats. I mean, I thought the. Matsuyama really saved him, and I, I don't know how well it came across there, but that that really cool moment when he, um, you know, thanked everybody, and he was kind of calm and collected, and they had that new cool camera, the Venice cam, they called it, and we did that walk with him, and you, I mean, it was you had to look, you had to work, and I had, of course, the usual um, mega lunatics here in the United States tell me I was lying, he didn't cry, um, but it was a beautiful moment, so I went back and watched it, of course, because I had the lunatics, and it was. It was even better the second time how, you know, you could just 
you could see whoever the last person was said something and he smiled and he started walking and that moment hit him and you could see his eyes start to turn red and he, you know, wiped his face and his, yeah. And you, why you, I put up in my newsletter, the comparison of the photo of him going out to the first tee and the photo of him <laughs> coming off 18, he looked 30 years older. Yeah. Um, but it, I thought it was just an absolutely amazing moment. It, it made the whole day, which was kind of boring, really rewarding to see, uh, that moment hit him, you know, the hard work, the everything, it just, it just hit him. And I love that. I, that's just a cool thing to see. And that beautiful, the way the cam, I mean, it looked fake. It looked like a movie. The camera's amazing, um, isn't it? It does a, it, it yeah. shows some incredible so shots all week with that. That was neat. Yeah. Is the walk, is the silent walk now a new thing? We saw it with Tiger. No. Three minutes of silence. Well, you know what, what they've done, it's really, it was great because his wife wasn't there. And, and, and even if she was there, I'm, I'm not sure from what I've understand about the way he views his life and, and his married life that she would do it. Now they've done this obnoxious thing now where they, they really want the wives to be there to walk them to, to scoring, you know, like they just got off the, uh, the ship from, from war. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's kind of, you know, they, they, they don't push them out there, but it's this kind of staged thing where they want the wife to walk them in. And it's, um, it's a little much, right. to be honest it, with you. Yeah, not not something you would have seen Valerie Hogan doing, right? <laughs> no, 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 shit, no. <laughs> Beautifully put into perspective, Clades, as is the as yeah. is your way. Switching gears completely, Jeff Shackford is Fred Lid- is Fred Ridley the white knight we need in that position in terms of distance and the state of the game and the direction the game's going. His annual state of the game address obviously was uh, always always uh, an important event in the game. Is is Ridley the man for the job? I don't know. He just, uh, you know, it's the same old story. Another one that won't just, uh, he knows what, he knows how much money has gone out to pay for things to fix on the golf course. And he, we know, we we know where he stands. And if it's a five organization vote, it's going to be three to two, thanks to him. So that's great. But it's this kind of dancing around certain stuff with on, at least on the distance topic is a little bit, um, I, I just, it's like, why? Life's too short, Fred. Just just say what you think. And you're a good player. You know everything that's that's kind of gone into this and what it costs. And 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 he does support the USGA and the RNA, but he could do it in a stronger way, I think. More importantly, um, Jeff, but, has, he, has he got the best hair in golf? That's an amazing <laughs> head of hair that he has yeah. and has always had, isn't it? Extraordinary. It's uh, it's well quaffed and it's well quaffed <laughs> in in person and um, it's aged beautifully. You look at the video. Well, the the makeup uh, helps, Rod. You might you know let's tone it down. He's back off there a little. The pancake is you know does uh, take out a few doing the job, uh, yeah. blemishes. Yeah, doing from now all that time in the sun as a as an amateur golfer. Clates, let's talk about appearance money. It's been with us forever. Is this what the PGA Tour's player impact program is? That's what you tweeted the other day. What was your gut reaction? There's been some interesting ones since the story broke. What was your gut reaction to the $40 million pool to be split up between 10 people at the end of the year, not based on what they did on the course? Well, my gut reaction was it's appearance money by another name. So, uh, you know, the, um, we all know that different players are worth different amounts according to their charisma and how many tickets they're going to sell. So Ricky Fowler would sell more tickets in Australia than Xander Shoffley, for instance, who's a, currently a, playing much better golf. But you know, Fowler's going to sell more tickets. So does Fowler get the 10th money ahead of Xander or Colin Morikawa? So, um, you know, it seems like it's a pretty arbitrary way to pick who's entitled to the a share of the $40 million. He gets the and, appearance fee to come and play in Australia, doesn't he? The Australian tournament organisers are looking at who, you know, they've got 500000 to spend, who do they pick? And if it's down to Shoffley and Fowler, we know they're going to pick Fowler, don't we? Is that, It's the same thing, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, but at least you're getting them to show up and play golf. That's, that's a stupid bit. pool. You know, it's, just a, <laughs> it's a bunch of metrics. It's not even You're not even getting a tournament appearance out of them. Okay, so you can argue the specifics of how they're going to give it away, Jeff, but is there not some legitimacy to the discussion that the PGA Tour business is built on the players and those players who contribute the most to the business should get something back on top of just? And many have pointed it out. It's the only sport in the world where there's no guarantees before you start. But isn't it, I mean, this is like the distance debate. I mean, how, how far is too far and how much is too much? I mean, you know, these guys get paid extraordinary amounts of money as it is. I mean, well, you yourself, hang on, Clay, you yourself have said you could make the case that Tiger Woods is underpaid in the world of athletics, and you're quite right. He might be the only one. Yeah, but that's that's one of 
10. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dustin Johnson underpaid or Hideki Matsuyama or, you know, Brooks Kepka. Those guys underpaid. Those guys have paid pretty well, I would have thought, for the contribution they make to the game. And and surely the tour has got a better way to um, spend $40 million than doing it this way. I mean, they could they could, they could could play five world championships actually outside of America, which would be a great thing for the world game. But, of course, they talk about growing the game, but they really – that doesn't mean growing the game anywhere apart from America. No, or growing the, the business, the, actually. Yeah, you know, the greatest contribution they could make to golf is actually bring their so-called world championships out to the world and play them rather than having stuck in America. For- we, but we, we know from experience, Clades, that if they did, the 10 players who are going to split up that money at the end of the year won't turn up for that event outside of America. Don't we? Well, well perhaps they should throw $80 million, in, <laughs> 80 million <laughs> in, and make the $40 million extra contingent on turning up and playing the five events they play outside of America. Indeed. There are, in fact, some rules, Shaq. I was uh, read Bob Harrick's piece mm. this morning. There's, you've got to yep. do at least one corporate day and add one event to the schedule. Does that soften the blow at all? Does that make it more palatable to you? Yeah, and I, I can't wait to find out now what that means for Tiger. If he's not playing at all and he can't add an event, does that disqualify him from it? I mean, it kind of – just the whole thing feels like they're making it up a little bit as they go. Uh, they just wanted to pay certain people to keep them from going to the, to the PGL. League. That's exactly so they right. They came up with this, yeah. well, uh, well, but this laughable stuff about uh, these these you know people like Gaiman Lynch writing, oh, this will increase engagement. Do you really think Adam Scott even knows the password to his Instagram account? Uh, you know, and he's <laughs> one of the people on the list and who's going to get paid for this for his engagement and um and it's and you laugh. Uh, yeah, man, looking at the the guys who are actually legitimately doing that kind of outreach so they'll, they'll never yeah i would i think this pool would be fascinating if max homa and um harry higgs and wesley bryan had a chance to uh to cash in for for actually doing what they claim to want which is this kind of but they don't it's not about that so it's, it's a thank you and a stopgap to keep some people going away and i i get that part of it but the the secrecy of it is what fascinates me and then these other little elements uh, that are coming up. And then, and then of course that, that the one thing of, that sort of was tied to merit, what you do on the golf course, the FedEx cup part that turned out, uh, <laughs> that turned out that that got, that got cut out of the thing at some point between the time Eamon, whatever document he got and whatever the final thing was. So that's just amazing to me for the amount of money they spend. And, so and, two, uh, two questions. Crapped on. What yeah. should they do about the premier golf league, which even though it's been quiet, I'm sure hasn't gone away. What do you do if the PGA tour, uh, and is what they've done going to be enough? Tiger Woods is yeah, now they, out of the equation, isn't he? If the PGL got him, the PGL works. If they didn't, then it's it's going to be more difficult. He's not playing anywhere now. We, let's right. be honest, his career is done. So the Tiger right. Woods yeah, factor yeah, is yeah. over. So how does that change things? And is what they have done enough to ward off this PGL threat, for want of a better term? I'm not sure. I I, I think it might in the short term, but the, mo- the amount of money really isn't that great compared to what – they were talking about under their old format of the of the franchises and the and the founding players. I don't know where they're at now. Um, I know the group in New York is not involved. It's back to kind of the original people. I don't think they've gone away, but um, um, I don't know if that amount of money is really going to do it. And um, you know the the Premier League was was addressing a bunch of different things, and many of them related to actually what we see on TV and the fan element. Um, and I guess, as you probably have seen some of the things I've written, that's what's, what's just perplexing and annoying and obnoxious about this is there's just nothing here that's, yeah, I know there was spin that this will increase engagement and all that, that, that crap. Um, there's nothing about th- anything they're doing that's trying to improve the product of golf, which we know is the, the most important thing if you want to grow the game, if that's really what matters to you. And they just have no interest in that. It's all marketing people who don't like the sport. So they're trying to find ways to market it so that they like it or their kids like it. And they just don't really like golf that much. And if they just paid attention, (laughs) as we know, to a few things um, to make the sport better and faster and, and um, not as all day ordeal. And maybe, you know, occasionally throw in a 54 hole event, all these little things that have come up um, that would all be better, but they just don't, they don't like the sport enough to even know how to 
nowhere to begin. Well, the truth is the PGA Tour would be much easier to run if you remove the golf element from it because that's the problematic well, part. Everything else yeah. is pretty is pretty cosy. Tom, yeah. nobody knows players better than you do and modern players. No offense, Clates, but Tom moves in the modern player circle a bit more than you do. What's your take as a caddy and as being part of that bubble on both the Premier Golf League and this, this move by the PGA Tour? I assume it gets talked about a little bit. I mean, it's not happening on the Japan Tour, obviously, but I assume it gets talked about amongst players about these things that are going on in the world of golf. What's the take? Sorry, you're going to have to repeat that question. It cut out on me. You're just trying to dodge for time, I know, because you don't know what to say. What's <laughs> That's the, a complicated question. Yeah, but- what, what's the take amongst players, do you reckon, Tom? You, you, I know this isn't happening in Japan or on the Japan Tour, but what do players talk about when you, the issue of the Premier Golf League and what the, what the PGA Tour here has done? What's the take there amongst players? Well, I can't add actually anything to that, I'm afraid. I haven't heard anything about this from the players, so uh, they haven't mentioned anything about it, so I can't comment, unfortunately. What about as a caddy? I don't imagine there's anything in it for you. Does a caddy get 10% no, of a, no, a cut? But no, none, none of it's been discussed. So, I mean, I don't caddy much anymore. So, it's uh, I, I'm sort of been out of the loop. So, I unfortunately can't, uh, can't add anything to that. But the Premier Golf Leagues are non-event in Japan, I assume, Tommy, isn't it? I mean, no one would even... Non-event. No, no one knows anything about it here. Yeah, I doubt it even made the papers, did it? No, did not make the papers. No. This is it. When you guys started talking about it, it was the first I heard about it. Is that right? Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not really a known issue here in Australia either, to be fair, Clay. It's only amongst really hardcore golf fans and those of us in the industry, I think, uh, who know yeah, the much idea about was it. to poach 50 players away from the tour, Tommy, and play 54 whole events for, I don't know, what, 10 million, Chuck, and no cut. And, Guaranteed money for the players. You know, you know, the idea was to get Tiger and Adam Scott and Kepka and those guys, Mickelson, and drag them away from the tour. And, you know, a bit like what they tried last week with with the football in Britain and, and Europe. So I, I wonder, Jeff, if golf was as big a game as football, would the Premier Golf League have been killed off in two days like it was in football in, in Europe? I don't think so because there was a little more substance to their ideas and there was a uh, things were better thought out and they were trying to be – they were trying to address, uh, do some of the things that we would like to see, which is a more international tour. Um, so if you ignore the money part, but if you look at the, fa- the the way they were trying to play an international schedule, but they were still respectful of the major championships. And I think that's that's kind of something that, as I've been pondering this 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 thing, the tour got exposed on, um, and and then obviously my newsletter being major focus. But but I, you know the the tour looks at the majors as an annoyance and they want yeah, their yeah. properties to be seen on yeah. the same level. And they push the PGA to a date that I don't think is going to work uh, for their stupid mm. playoffs that aren't being watched. And the premier league was very much a schedule built around not screwing with the majors or the Ryder cup. Okay. So I think when you look at the, the soccer, uh, the football thing, just, it was just looked like a, a naked, uh, cash grab and some greedy American owners who don't understand. Um, I mean, they should, because it's very similar to American football, the, the connection people have to those teams. But I feel like the, the golf version still has legs because there were a lot of really good ideas okay. within what they were doing. You can get annoyed by the Saudi money or the amount of money or the no cuts or whatever, but there was uh, they they were addressing some things that sounded pretty interesting when you fleshed it out so um and they worked very quietly behind the scenes on it and and i i was the one who kind of exposed them i mean they all knew on the uh, amongst the players and agents about it but um so i think it would i think it well i just don't think it's gone away completely and then somebody will steal their ideas if, okay. if they haven't gone away yeah, yeah. Good. the other difference of course jack between the football thing and the golf thing is the football is a tribal game Particularly, yeah, yeah. There, there's yeah. a there are a lot that's of people attached to a yeah. club. Yeah, golf are just individuals playing golf. You might right, be a fan right. of Rory, but that's not going to make any difference as to whether. In fact, it probably works in the favour of the Premier Golf League if they get Rory. All the Rory fans will follow. They yeah. don't care where yeah. he plays; they just want to see him play. What about the nexus then, Shaq, between entertainment and on-course performance? It's a, it's a complex mix is it not in golf we want to see the best golfers winning on course and all the rest of it and it's always been the case that the best and the most charismatic make the most off the course that's the reward for doing that part of it right but is there not a role for i mean doesn't that competitive thing have to have some sort of role that's my problem with this notion that they've thrown up 
are being paid not on performance but on right. some other weird metric that makes no sense in a game. Well, and a metric we know that can be manipulated. No, of course, <laughs> we have elections being manipulated yeah. by bots and things. Can you imagine what? <laughs> What's going to go on with the uh, when 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 an agent hears his players you know right on the cut if the agent gets a cut let's be clear on that if the agent's not getting a cut then the no, players okay, on cut, his yeah. own doing his Google searches of his name <laughs> but yeah I, of course we want uh, the players to do what what the players do now and the athletes do now in terms of all that but but the personality will come out. We've discussed this and here comes our roll back the ball conversation. We've discussed this over and over again, that if, if the game is played a certain way and we see people moving the ball and we see, um, a certain kind of emotions brought out by the way the game is played, um, the rest will take care of itself. So let's, this, uh, conversation of having Tom on the podcast started right at the time, Tom Watson, uh, completely, Oh, just wow. I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> a lot, but he he, he came out and said, uh, he, uh, "Don't touch any of the equipment." I loved what happened with Bryson, and at uh, at Bay Hill, excuse me for for leaving the key detail out, where he where he tried to drive the par five or drive it close, mm. and we never really I don't believe we discussed this, but no, and Clayton knows this and Tom knows this, but we're actually deprived of those moments more and more because everything's so out of sync with the with the equipment and distance and the courses. So risk reward so rarely happens. And when people got to see really wacky, nutty risk reward taking, it was thrilling. I mean, I was thrilled, but for, mm-hmm. of course, for the mm. other Tom Watson, yeah. uh, who was Frank Hannigan's buddy, Mr. Rules of Golf, um, one of the great players of all time, uh, all that for him to suddenly go, you know, miss the point of that, that moment. And a lot of people miss the point, but that point, that moment reminded us what we're missing. Mm-hmm. And of course, then Bryson, you know, tried to sell NFTs on it and made him bigger. And, and, and it was, it was great. It was a great moment, but it happened, but it could happen more, uh, if we got the, the golf in sync with the golf courses again, It'll so be the only one and then that year, takes care of the things you're, I feel like you're, you're saying. Yeah, indeed. Tom, you've been around the game a long time, caddied for good players a long time. How much has it changed, and is it more or less entertaining now than it was 20 years ago? Yeah, it's it's an interesting topic. I I think it's less entertaining, for sure. Um, I think uh, something about the way the ball is, it just sort of just goes through the wind. Everyone seems to be focused on numbers now. Obviously, I caddied for, I think it was nine years in a row on the ladies' tour, and then all of a sudden I went to the men's tour for a stint about uh, three years ago. So I hadn't seen any sort of men's golf and ball flights for about 10 years, and I couldn't believe the difference, the launch angles, the, the height they were hitting it, um, the, the effect of the ball, the, how straight it was going. The It was just no shot shaping. It was totally different. It was just bash the ball as hard as you can and get down there. And if it's in the rough or it doesn't matter, the ball's going to fly out of there okay and, and you go. So, I, yeah, me personally, I don't like what's happening with the game. I just think it's 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 too one-dimensional and just bashing it. And, um, you know, I think the game's about feel and strategy and the golf courses and, and the equipment is all part of that. And, uh, yeah, I don't like the direction that it's going. You booked yourself. So, Tommy, you know, you caddy for so young. You, who was, I mean, I think the best player on the tour when you were caddying for us, certainly week in, week out, she was the most consistent. Um, you know, she, I mean, she was a beautiful player, you know, great iron player, great with the fair woods. I mean, to me, so much more interesting to watch than just the wedge fest that goes on now on, on the PGA tour. Yeah, it was. I mean, that spot was great at that time. I mean, um, the older style courses had sort of been obsoleted with the equipment. But, uh, it was great on the ladies' tour that they could, they were sort of, you know, the period of Kenny so on, they were sort of hitting at the lengths, the average lengths of the players back in the 80s mm. and the 70s and 80s on the men's tour. So it's great. It was great to see, you know, it was, it was a little bit more feel and sort of strategy involved. To, and the ball flight that it came out sort of came out as the ball flight it did for the men's in the 70s and 80s. So it was, uh, it was much more interesting. And uh, it was a good, a good insight in, and, and good time to caddy it at that period for the ladies because it, I mean, it did sort of feel like 70s and 80s golf. 
I hadn't thought about it till now, but she played a lot like one of your old bosses, Terry Gale, who was a tremendous Australian player. I mean, I mean they had – he and Sayong had probably very similar games in terms of the, the length and the clubs they were hitting and how they played. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Terry was incredible. Like you, you know, he only played sort of with a fade. He sort of had to play different styles of shot in order for the ball to to fly correctly. You know, it was uh, he couldn't sort of just bash it. You know, he had to really yeah. sort of feel it in there in certain wind conditions. He had to play, and it was fun. You learned a lot. You go, wow. You know, you got to do it that way. And as a caddy, you sort of had to adjust to that. Where now it just seems to be like I just give the number and you sort of have this shot feel number in your head and you just go ahead and go. So it's um yeah, it's it's totally taken the feel and creativity and imagination, I think, out of the game. Jeff Shackelford, here's an interesting thing to consider. It came to me the other day. Might Shot Tracer be the saviour for us? Shot Tracer is much more interesting following Sevy around in the eighties, is it not? Than most of the players in the the 2020s, could the curve of the ball come back in some ways driven by how it might look on television with the shot tracer? I, I would have hoped that Lightwall would have already gone off with the uh, the people in charge. And, and but again, this goes back to that topic that that uh, there's there's nobody at uh, the PGA Tour headquarters is uh, that I can tell cares about the game or watches it really for fun like that and, and would love to see. Yeah. I mean, Bubba's the one that still moves the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I, I mean, you see even the, as little as they move the ball now, that curve is still looks cool on TV. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, imagine if you could see some of Sevy's old, well, both the, the, the good ones and the bad ones. <laughs> That's exactly right. It would be it, it because the tracer is now required. It's expensive. It's a pain in the ass, yeah. but it is, it just makes the golf – it's fun to watch, even with the ball not moving. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Zach Blair now has got merchandise saying, what does it make the ball – make the ball curve again? So yeah. there, there, there's a movement. There, there are is. more people. And I think we have probably <laughs> Bubba to thank for it more than anybody. Um, and we've also discussed many times, you know, it's still amazing. Where do people go at Augusta? They want to go see the shot Bubba hit with a, um, you know, basically – hooked a wedge which is just unfathomable to anybody who's played the game and people still go there to try to figure out how he did it and again it's like the bubba shot at bay hill great okay um amazing moments we are missing those we should have more of those and um so i i don't um i mean we've made progress there's no question there's few people are fewer people are obsessed with the the distance thing compared to a few years ago. So we're getting there. Um, Isn't the problem with the Bryson shot really, Jeff? There's only how many times a year can you see that? <laughs> Do we have to wait eight months between each time we get to see that risk reward challenge because the thing's out of balance? That's really the issue, isn't it? And it's for those of us who think the game's most interesting when the ball's on the ground. The ball in the air can be interesting in that situation, which it was. Yeah, carry right. H- how many of those situations are there a year? That's a good question. I think if we went through the schedule, if I I was just trying, I just started trying to think of some courses. Um, you know, like the 18th tee shot at uh, TPC Scottsdale, you it has a lake. The lake's not in play anymore. Um, if that lake were in play again, the tee shot would have meaning. Now it's like they just get up there, like Tom was just describing, and they're trying to get it as far down the hole as they can because they can. But if they were brought back to where the lake is in play and I mean, that hole is just, it's such a, it's such a dud compared to the others. Cause it's now it's whether they're going to have a 60 degree or a, <laughs> or yeah, a 56 yeah. degree. Ed. Mm. Uh, but you get them back to where the water's in play. And then the angle they take off the tee, or if they miss it a little bit, all those things come back. And it's just stuff like that, where those little bits of tensions uh, that you get during the round are restored. That, that would be the idea if it's done properly with a uh, ball or driver. So, so obviously, quotes the issue there is to make that aerial game as interesting as Shaq's just described. There's only two options there: you either shorten the ball or lengthen the golf course, and we keep going down the path of lengthening the golf course, don't we? Well, yeah, because no one's done their job for twenty years, but <laughs> and hopefully they're going to do it now. Yeah. yeah, you heard any more about that, Jeff? The distance insights report. Are we any further down the road of what might happen there? Are there whispers behind the scenes? It's been a lot of other stuff happening, so it's, we've been quiet on that front for a while. Have you heard anything? You've been in touch with people? No, I haven't. Um, I haven't heard much. They they obviously would normally meet at the Masters. I don't know how much of that went on this year. I doubt a whole lot. 
Um, so I think, you know, the pandemic is not helping. And then obviously we have the situation with Mike Davis leaving Mike Wan coming in. That'll be, uh, something to watch. Is he the right man for the job? Does, does he, is he the right man for the job one? Does he get it? He's got all the PR skills. We know his record at the LPG is stunning, but I'm not sure I saw anything of what he did at the LPGA, which gave you gave you the feeling he understood golf as we're talking about here and saying what's lacking at the PGA Tour and the same thing at the LPGA as evidenced by the wall behind the green last year at the ANA. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because, yeah, I think that you know, like this week they're playing Wilshire Country Club in LA and I know some people who talked to him about it and you know, he didn't make the connection of what a good golf course like Wilshire does. You know, I was watching yesterday afternoon. I didn't go over there. Um, and I was just watching some of the holes and some of the stances and some yeah. of the stuff there. It's like, they don't get this every week on the LPGA tour. And I'm watching this cause that's interesting. You know, um, Jessica, no, Nelly had a, had a ball way above her feet. There's a couple of really cool fairways out there. Just crazy movement. It's like, that's so great, you know, and and it's, she's forced to do something creative and he never really showed a lot of passion for that. So I don't know if he has to have a great knowledge or passion. Um, he's a great communicator and he has the trust of, of the manufacturers. He has the trust of a lot of factions in the game. So I think that's the positive. I do worry though, that he is not that interested in course design or yeah. um, some of this stuff, but he, I don't think he would have taken the job if he wasn't prepared to continue the the work they've done to sort of lay the groundwork and um i think the most interesting thing that that uh came up recently in hindsight and i, I just still haven't gone back to it but where jay monahan's changed his tune a little bit talking about um that that if something is done it will not take away the importance of distance Ooh. and it was as if somebody finally explained to him what we know <laughs> is relative that, Jay. <laughs> no actually if this is done right the long hitters will kind of stand out again yeah in a cool way yeah um yeah. so i don't know if that's if that finally got through to him but that would be fantastic if he did come to that understanding i think yeah. um and then obviously if mike Wan can can understand all that that would be that would be huge. So it'll be really interesting. Yeah. But he's a great communicator. Yeah, very much, very much. And Mike Davis uh, had, had, for whatever reason, really lost a lot of people. So he that will that will be a big change for them. I wasn't suggesting anything derogatory about one. I just that's an element of it. No, no, I, no, I know you I were. No, no, no. Yeah, he's I, I, been yeah, a no. fabulous. It's, well, it's well, just a fair question to ask. Yeah. I mean, Tommy probably dealt more with. Mike one than anyone here in terms of the courses they played on the LPGA Tour and whether he cared much about the architecture. It seemed to me that, yeah. I mean, Tommy, I think you always thought Williamsburg was a pretty good course and I looked up the confidential guide and it got a dope three. <laughs> yeah, that's one of their best courses on the one LPGA of their, that's Tour. One of their, that's right. That was like, that was the Augusta <laughs> National for the LPGA Tour, trust me. Well, Lake Massette was pretty good, right? That was a Doak five, I think, and Wiltshire is probably what a five or a six. So, uh, it's it, it's it's good. It, oh, I, I like would it. put it in the seven category. Okay, but well, so I'm really a little good. biased, you yeah. know. I mean, yeah. I, I just it just has so much character, but yeah. But also in his defense, and I think Tom would agree. At the time he he inherited the tour, and then now with the pandemic, all this other stuff. It's hard to be too picky about Very golf much. courses when you're just trying to maintain sponsors yeah. Yeah. and a schedule. <laughs> uh, yeah, hundred hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. I, I actually, I had, I was, I sat down with next to Mike Wan at some. There was some, I don't know, some dinner there was for the LPGA. I, I was fortunate enough to sit next to him, and look, I think he did a fantastic job. And as you said, Jeff, he's, he, you know, he sort of took on that tour when it was just starting to grow, and he did a fantastic job, and. I did bring up the discussion with him about, you know, the golf courses and it sort of, it was on the agenda, but not in the immediate agenda. And he was just sort of really trying to get the tour to grow, which he did do a fantastic yeah. job. And, um, yeah, but it's the one, but yeah, it, it's, it was a bit of a shame that, you know, he just, you know, didn't need to train for the courses. But it's the one tour that can go to smaller right. venues like Wiltshire yeah. that, you know, that are too small for the PGA tour, too small, for the as, as a venue and too short as a golf course, yeah. that I mean there are courses yeah. all, over, yeah. all over America that are great that could that would really add so much interest to the women's game. I think. Mm -hmm. Fantastic! I totally agree. Yeah, you're right. That the infrastructure doesn't need 
like the PGA Tour and the golf courses, the old school golf courses are at a perfect length for the for the old PGA players. Indeed, so yeah, for sure. Always had, the, always had the feeling about Juan that he's the sort of smart guy who, whilst he accepts that he doesn't understand necessarily golf course architecture, he understands it's something he's going to need to learn at some point to put that piece of the puzzle in place when the time comes. I think you're right, Tom, just a priority matter of him when he took over the tour. was like, let's get this thing back on the rails and grow it to a point where we can now pick and choose where we go to play. Then I'll learn what makes those things uh, interesting and what's good, and then we'll work on, on getting to those courses. Clay, did you listen to the Martin Slumbers interview with John Huggan? which was interesting, I thought, for some of the things he said and some of the things that he didn't say. What's your feeling about, if we have a look at now who's running, who's in the top positions in world golf? Slumbers at the RNA, I found him very likable in that interview. He said some things that I thought were really interesting. He, he said quite specifically and openly that they, of course, have had a look at their legal position. Should there be any challenge if they decide to go down the rollback path? He said that publicly and quite openly. It wasn't that he wished that would happen, but that he's prepared because that's what business people do. Ridley at Augusta National... Mike Wan now coming on at the USGA. Should we be optimistic about what might happen for those of us who think the game needs to have some changes made to equipment? Well, I've always been optimistic they're going to do something. But in the end, the time for speaking and studying is over. You know, these guys will only get any credit now for me when they do something. You know, they can say all the right things and be the perfect politician as Sumbers was in that interview with Huggy. But until they do something, I'm fed up with them. You know, you, you can't keep hiding behind reports and gratuitous words and, yeah, we know there's a problem. Well, you know, everyone's known there's been a problem for 20 years, anyone with some eyes. So until they do something, they're, they're kind of wasted space to me, really. Shaq, are the right people in place to do something now? An important part of doing something is having the right people in place to be able to navigate that path, which is not going to be easy or simple. I think so, but I don't know. You know, you still hear bits and pieces about people behind the scenes who um, maybe have been there a long time and aren't aren't comfortable admitting that they they were outsmarted. Um, and I think with Peter Dawson gone, that's a big step getting him out of there. And Slumbers is um, just such an impressive guy. He's so smart. Um, he listens, he's down to earth. He's, um, he's just pretty much everything. <laughs> uh, he's a inspector was not. And, um, so that's, that's helpful. And the RNA seems to be in a good place with the players. The USGA still is not, I don't think the USGA is ever going to be liked by the players. And, and frankly, you know, some of it is very well deserved, but frankly, some of it's just getting kind of old, um, how whiny and, and ignorant a lot of the golf pros are about, the layers involved and in, in trying to do uh, things and how it's not at the sexiest job in the world, being a rule maker and trying to enforce these things. So I think the, for the most part, it seems like the right people are, but I'm with Clay. It's like, Oh, for crying out loud, you know what you want to do. Um, you know, the problem they've done amazing research and backed it up with amazing numbers that none of these people will read anyway. So stop trying to wait for them to read the data and come around and just do it. Um, and, and see what happens. And, um, I would love to see them be a little bit smarter about how they sell these things. And again, this is the problem with a lot of the people in these organizations now are come, they sold something else before and they're not really golf people. Um, because I think we know they've blown, our, my view is they've blown some opportunities to um, create a set of dumbed down rules or beginner rules or um, ways to get into the game rules um, because they're so afraid of the bifurcation thing, things like that. Um, yeah, you know, we've talked about the Golf Channel uh, bag tag that they did a few years ago that got sent off and destroyed because people really wanted it so badly that, you know, it had, and it matched, by the way, Longhurst once said it, the, the rules of golf should be able to fit on, you know, one, yeah. one piece of paper like that. And, uh, and that's what they did. And it was a great thing. You could give somebody who's just starting out. It'd be a great way to get them into the game. These are the rules you need. And then if you, if you like it and you get better, yeah, you can pick up the uh, fancier ones later, but they just, that's just not in them to do that. So I think that's going to be where this whole thing could get, tripped up if the uh, i mean because remember you have the golf publications are just trying to sell one more ad and 
But even them are even they're writing fewer stupid propaganda pieces these days too well, on the topic, so that helps. They got their own business issues, haven't they? In that space, the media's changed so much. Yeah, advertising's dying as a business, which yeah. is also going to just play a huge part in all this. That's exactly right. Yeah, so it's. Uh, I think it'll be interesting. The the really the thing that came out of that Slumbers interview for me, which I didn't realize before, Clates, is that Slumbers is a golfer, a genuine golfer, a decent golfer who's played some decent level amateur competitive golf and gets it, gets it from that angle. The, they go out early in the morning with some friends and play some golf and the, and the go and play your pennant match at your local club. They're the real golf that people play. I thought that was pretty important. You can't have that perspective unless you've kind of lived it, I don't think, and I thought that was... Yeah. But Dawson was a good player too, wasn't he? Um, I always sense with Dawson in a different kind of a way. I don't know how good a player he was. I know he had putting issues. Was he not using a broomstick putter at one point? At a prime or something when he was running. That sounds. That I seem to re- sound right. I seem to recall there was something about it, or, or maybe they said he should have used a broomstick putter. His putting mm-hmm. was was so tragic to watch. But regardless, golf continues to roll on. Shaq, uh, been great to chat to you today. As always, it's been too long, as we say every time, and it'll no doubt be too long before we speak again. So in the meantime, yes, absolutely. Well, Thank you, Rod. It'll all keep rolling on. Thanks for your time today, Clay. It's great to catch up with you. Always great to catch up with you, my friend. Thank you, Rod. Enjoyed it. And Tommy Watson coming in from a very dodgy internet connection in Japan. Been fabulous to talk to you, my friend. And while we didn't get to see you for the whole thing because you had to turn your camera off, your presence and your uh, contribution was greatly valued. Thank you, mate. Yeah, I do apologise for the internet connection. Sorry. And thanks, guys. Good chatting. No, not at all. Thank you. Yeah, it was really good. Episode 111 of State of the Game, done and dusted. Episode 112 coming at some point in the future. We'll look forward to that. We hope you do too. Here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a Talk and Golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.